are continuing on in our series here in Nehemiah. We are in chapter 5. Gary and Greg took us through chapter 4. Um, and, and here's the deal. I'm going to read the first part of the chapter. I'm not going to read the second part. I'll fill us in on the second part. Um, but I want to just give you a direction. The, the Lord really spoke to me about uh, the, the concentrating on the fear of the Lord today. Okay? So that's where we're going to go. So Nehemiah chapter 5, I'm going to jump right in and we're going to get started. Um, well, just real brief, again, we're coming out of the fact they're building the walls, right? They're rebuilding. We've talked about that. It's time to arise and build. And, and, and then they've, gotten, they've received opposition to the point to where now Nehemiah has told his people, guys, get ready because uh, an attack might come at any time, right? So they had a sword in one hand and a tool in another. They were equipped. They were ready to rock and roll with whatever would, would come. And we've been talking about this idea of emerging. And, and, and just as these folks here, the, the nation of Israel was emerging out of captivity and emerging into a new day that God was rebuilding and restoring them to not be like who they were. He, he, he was rebuilding not only a city, he was reforming a people to be people that were sold out, Jesus-focused. Well, not Jesus-focused, God-focused at the time, that, that feared him and him alone, that worshipped no other gods, all of that kind of stuff. So he was reforming his people, and again, we have to put ourselves into that place right now. There's no mistake why Greg and, and Gary and the leadership said, let's do a series on emerging. We are coming out of a, a season and, and I'm not going to call it captivity, but in some ways it was captivity. But we're coming out of a season, and, and I think that the Lord is looking down and saying, I hope and my prayer is that as you come out, that there will be a reformation that takes place within you. And that you aren't going to be the same people that you used to be after this period of time. And, and if, we, if we are, then man, may Lord have mercy on us. Because the Lord is propelling his bride forward to be everything that Christ paid the ultimate price for her to become. And that's to be radiant. And that is to be glorious. And to show the world the beautiful man, Jesus Christ. So there's a reformation that begins to go. So not only are they rebuilding walls, there's now a reformation that's starting to come to the people. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 says, Now there was a great outcry of the people, this is internally, and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses that we might get grain because of this famine. There was a great need in the land. So even in the midst of rebuilding these walls, people were actually starving because they didn't have enough money. So there was an outcry, right? And we're going be, to begin seeing one of the reasons that they were so poor. Verse 4. Also, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. They're, they're tight. All of the money's going out and nothing's coming in. Verse 5. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Then I was very angry, this is Nehemiah, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. And essentially this, if you don't know what usury is, I, don't, I didn't know what that was, I had to look it up. But usury is just putting a high level of interest on a loan, like exuberantly high, like well above the standard rate of insurance. So basically what was happening here is the Jewish 
like people that had the, the money at the time, they, they realized that the, the poorer folk, they needed money, so they were selling things off. They were buying it off of them, or they were lending money, and then they were putting a huge interest rate on top of it, and they making their situation worse. You see what's going on here? So, so Nehemiah's outraged. He's like, guys, we're out of captivity. We're supposed to be on the same team here. Verse 8, I said to them, we, according to our ability, this is Nehemiah and like his crew, we, according to our ability, we've redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now, why would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies. And likewise, my brothers and my servants, and likewise, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please, let us leave off this usury. Please, give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses. Also the hundredth part of their money and of the grain, the new wine, and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, we will give it back. And we will require nothing from them. We'll do exactly as you say. Parents, wouldn't that be great if we just told people, like told our kids, just do this. And they're like, yes, we will do that. Like, Praise the Lord. Let's have more of that. Uh, I need more of that. Okay, anyways. So I called the priests and I took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. Verse 13. I also then shook off the front of my garment and said, thus may God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may be he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to his promise. So it's this, it's this crazy picture and, and this also beautiful picture, again, of Nehemiah confronting the, the, the people and saying, Guys, what is happening right here is wrong. Stop giving, uh, lending money at an exuberant rate. These are your brothers. We're supposed to be of one accord here. Like, this is not the Lord's will for us. Actually, if you look in the book of the law, if you look like it back in Leviticus, it talks about do not do, give, do not practice usury, do not make uh, lending and, and borrowing difficult for your own people. This is not my culture, God says, right? And Nehemiah is just reinstating that, said this is not the way forward. And he goes on then for the rest of the chapter, and, and it's, it's very similar, but Nehemiah just kind of is saying, look, I've had opportunities to take in more during the season. Because Nehemiah is actually promoted to become the governor over, the, over Judah, right? And he's just basically telling the people like, going, look, I know there's a rightful allowance that I was allowed to receive in this. Which means people are to tax a little bit more so I can have a little bit better food. I get everything's a little bit nicer for me. But he goes, look, I've put all of that aside. I'm not even taking my allowance. Because right now that's not what God is doing. Right now what God is doing is he's trying to make us a one people. And he's trying to make us together in this. And when our brothers are poor and others are, 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 are taking advantage of them, this is not the righteousness and justice of God. But then I want you to look at this. It's in verse uh, 15. He says, but I did not do this, that is take the governance allowance, because, here it is again, of the fear of the Lord. Now, that's a long setup to get to that place, but two times now, Nehemiah has said that he's been doing certain things and not doing others all because of this one thing. And it's the fear of the Lord. 
so my preparation as I was looking at this, the Lord really highlighted and said, Aaron, this is really where I want you to land today. So I want to take the remainder of our time today, and I just want to talk about that. Some of how it relates to Nehemiah, but more of just kind of opening up our hearts to consider um, in our own lives, do I walk in the spirit or the fear of the Lord? Um, some of you are going to be familiar with some of these verses, but I want you to hear them real quick. I'm just going to fire some off. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Two different things. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is also the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14, 7, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of life. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. There's a lot of people trying to figure out how to stay alive longer. There's a lot of people that are trying to find the proverbial uh, fountain of youth. Can I say to you that the word of God has already revealed to us what that is? It's walking in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and your sleep will be satisfied. How about this? How about anyone out there that's, that's, that struggles with sleep, that has a sleep disorder, that has uh, nightmares or night terrors? The solution? The fear of the Lord. Isaiah 33.6, the fear of the Lord is our treasure. Proverbs 15.16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure without it. That sounds a lot like Nehemiah. Proverbs 2.5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Are any of you wanting to grow and go deeper in the Lord? Do you have a hunger right now that's been birthed in this season that you go, God, I want more of you. I want to know you more. It's rooted in this spirit of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and not sin. And, and its sister verse is Exodus 20.20, after the, 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 the God shook the mountain, and, and Moses came down with the Ten Commands, and he began to read the Ten Commandments, and they saw the glory of God. And, and again, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, off, uh, the, the definition that, that I work with is reverential awe of God, which sometimes means shaking in your boots because you catch a glimpse of his power. You catch a glimpse of his might. You catch a glimpse of his nature, and you get undone, and you say like Isaiah did, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. When you behold the majesty and the beauty of Jesus, this reverential awe. But in Exodus 20, 20, uh, Moses is telling them they caught a glimpse of the glory of God on, 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 with flashes of lightning and fire and smoke, all that stuff. And he said, hey, don't be afraid. God is doing this to test you so that the fear of the Lord may remain on you so that you do not sin. Are any of you continually finding yourself returning to sin? Do you want to know what the remedy is? Spirit of the fear of the Lord. 
you ha- uh, turn here real quick to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to jump around on a few verses. I just want to make some connections for us as we look at this. You know, um, Jesus tells his disciples at one point, he says, don't fear man, but only fear God. And I don't know about you, but, but like the little, the little devil in my life has been the fear of man. I've had to beat that thing down so many times. And for some reason, he keeps coming and trying to mess with me. Right? And, and, God, and, and Jesus says to his disciples, don't fear men, fear God alone. See, the reality is when we catch a glimpse of, the, of God, for who he truly is, this all-consuming fire. And I would say even when we catch the beautiful one, Jesus, in all of his glory, and we have the spirit of the spirit of the Lord upon us, it will demolish every other fear in our life. Because once we catch a glimpse of his goodness, his faithfulness, his power, his might, his, his omniscience, and everything that the word says that he is, and everything that we've already experienced in him through Jesus, then all these other fears of the world begin to fade away. Because we actually see and have a faith in God for who he truly is. Not our experience with him, but for who he really is. Because sometimes your and I's experience falls short of what we read in the Bible. And that's not God's issue that always comes back down to us and saying, why am I not knowing him the way in which he really is? Does this make sense? And I think about Nehemiah in his state when Jesus said, don't fear man, but fear God and fear him alone. Nehemiah feared no one. He didn't care about the enemies coming against him. He's like, guys, forget it. Keep working. No fear of man. Only the fear of the Lord. Because he knew his assignment and he knew who assigned the assignment to him. Do you remember Nehemiah chapter 1? Do you remember when he heard about that he was stepping into a season? He was stepping into the promises of God. And as a cupbearer in a foreign nation, he heard all of this. And I would say, the text doesn't say this, but the fear of God came upon him. It said that he wept, that he prayed, that he fasted. He did all of these things because he knew, God, I've got to get aligned with everything that you say that you are and everything that you're doing. I need to be aligned with that. And now all of a sudden we see a man who doesn't care about what other people are saying, doesn't care what the world around him is saying. All he has one, he has one ear, and that ear is focused in heaven because he has a fear of the Lord and a fear of nothing else. So he straightened what he does. And in essence, Nehemiah is a type of Jesus. He's a type of Christ. We see Jesus in Nehemiah. Because as we're getting ready to look in Isaiah 11, we see this, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. We're familiar with this passage and others like it. It's talking about Jesus. It says the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3. And he will delight 
in the fear of the Lord. If any of you guys have ever done any studies, you see the seven spirits of God pop up in Scripture, elsewhere in Revelation chapter 4 and in Revelation chapter 5, when there's a throne room scene, when, 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 when John's gaze is lifted up and he sees God for who he truly is, he's peering into heaven, he's peering into the throne room, and he sees uh, like seven lampstands, which the text says are, are the seven spirits of God. Okay? Just like Isaiah chapter 6, when he catches a glimpse of God in, in, in his majesty and his omniscience and his own power, and it says he saw the train of his robe filling the temple, and, and it says he was like undone, and he said, man, I'm a man of unclean lips. If I, if I remember right, the text, it says in some ways he was on, on his face on the ground. That's the fear of the Lord. Because he got a glimpse who God really is, for who he truly is. But I love this in chapter 3, or verse 3, going back to this real quick. It says, and then Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. It's interesting to me that it doesn't say that he delighted in the spirit of wisdom. It doesn't say that he delighted in the spirit of strength. It doesn't say he delighted in the spirit of knowledge. It says he delighted in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know, I was telling Gary on the way down here, an interesting translation of that is this. He smelled like the spirit of the Lord. Isn't that wild? His aroma, like, was of the fear of the Lord. That's what he smelled like. You know, I want to spray a little bit of that on in the morning, you know. Spray on the fear of the Lord. You know, Gary was praying earlier and, and just talking about daily surrender. Daily getting up and saying, God, today I'm looking for you to fill me and none of me. Today I'm looking for your wisdom and your understanding. Today I'm looking for your counsel and your strength, not mine. Today, I'm looking for your knowledge, and like Jesus, show me how to delight in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Beloved, this to me takes on a whole nother level. When I saw this, that Jesus actually said he delighted in the fear of the Lord, it shifted something in me. I don't know if I've ever seen that or, or understood that, that that way before. But when you take a real quick glimpse at Jesus' life, you see all of these other things coming out to play. You see a wisdom come out of Jesus like you've never seen in another human being. You see an understanding of who God is and an understanding of what's going on around him all the time that only could come from his Father. You see a spirit of counsel and a spirit of might that comes like never before. You see a spirit of knowledge that comes upon him. You know, a lot of us are like, I, I'm like the songs that were saying, you're the God of miracles. Guys, I, I, I long for that. I want to operate in gifts of, of, of like knowledge, like words of knowledge, just like Jesus did. And, and it, it blows my mind because, see, Jesus, because he walked in the fear of the Lord, all of these other things came along. I would say, I would propose that it was the fear of the Lord that was the binding agent for all of these other things, every other aspect of the spirit of God himself to come forth. And the reason I say that is because earlier we read the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But in this text, 
we see that the last spirit mentioned that is a part of the nature of the whole spirit of God. There isn't seven spirits of the Holy Spirit, okay? This is like seven aspects of the nature of the Holy Spirit, just to clarify with all of us here, right? But the spirit, the spirit of the spirit of the Lord is the binding agent that allows everything else to flow through our life that we're all searching for. That's why every time Jesus went to go heal someone, they were healed. Why? Because of, he walked in the, he delighted in the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and therefore he had the spirit of might and the spirit of strength. And it's also why when he was able to go and talk to people, he knew how to cast that demon out specifically for that person. Why? Because he delighted to walk in the spirit of the fear of the Lord, but he was given revelation knowledge, the spirit of knowledge, in order to know, oh, you know what, this time I need to spit in this guy's eye so that he's healed. This time I just need to say, you need to go home and you're healed. I don't know about you, but I love to see God manifest his power and his presence in the kingdom now when I pray for people. And I've seen many people healed, but guess what? I'm not striking, I'm not hitting 100, okay? I'm not batting 100, as we would say in the States. I don't know, there's the references here, maybe not as much. But kicking 100, I don't know. Anyway, but, but, like, but, but I want to see every single time, like Jesus. And do you believe that? Don't you believe that Jesus is our, he is the new Adam? Like, he is the, the evidence, he is the example of what our lives should be looking like in communion with God as we walk with God day to day in paradise, in Eden, just like it was in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus says, hey, look, I brought you back to that so that you can walk in the fear of the Lord all the days of your life. And this is what it looks like to be fully human, to be fully endowed in the Spirit of God that releases the seven spirits of God, which is the Spirit of the Lord, wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, might, fear of the Lord. So that we might actually look like Christ as we walk on this earth. And then finally, it reminds me of this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5 real quick. We'll kind of we'll land on, on this one. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Many of you guys will remember this. And one of the interesting things to me, and it's, it's a connection back to Nehemiah uh, chapter 5, because uh, it has to do with like kind of finances and, and people and, and being of one accord and all this. But, but if you look in, in, in uh, chapter 4, 32 through 37, it's talking about how there was great things going on, and, they, and they, everything that they owned, they didn't value to be their own. And so like at Bar Barnabas sold some of his land because there was people in need, and he gave it all to the apostles, and the apostles distributed it as they saw the need, right? And so there's this beautiful thing going on. It's actually what Nehemiah was going for out of the law of God, which was out of Leviticus, when God says, this is what my people should look like. When I am their God and they're living in fear of me, which means they have guardrails for me, they're listening to what I say and then they obey and they don't question anything because they don't fear what other people are going to think. They don't fear what other people are going to say. They don't fear what an institution is going to say because their gaze is upon me and when their faith is fully in me, when I speak to them, they'll obey just like Jesus did. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying and he goes I'm going to make you into those people and so this is what my people are supposed to look like they're supposed to be a people that says if there's anyone that has need in my midst I will take care of them so if there was a need they began to sell anything that they had so that everybody was on the same playing field but then Ananias and Sapphira came along and unfortunately instead of operating in the spirit of God they operated in this moment in the spirit of flesh most of you guys know the story 
they sold some of their land, but they decided to keep some of it back to each their own. It wasn't the fact that they decided to keep some back. It's that they lied and they said, here, we sold the land. Here's all the money. And this, the text goes on to tell us that what happens is, is Peter actually operating in the spirit of the Lord. He gets spiritual knowledge and says, Ananias, is this what you did? And he goes, yep. He goes, no, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom, he dies. Calls in his wife. Sapphira comes in. Is this what you did? Yep. Nope, you lied. Boom, dies. Now read this. Verse 11 of chapter 5. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. This is the fear of the Lord. Right? And yeah, I'm sure they were a little shaken in their boots on this. But listen what happens in a New Testament context. This is our context. When the spirit of the fear of the Lord comes upon us. Here's what, we go, here's what we're going for. Talk about emerging. Talk about revival. Talk about reformation. Listen to this. At the hands of the apostles then, verse 12, many signs and wonders were taking a place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. The spirit of might began to operate. The spirit of unity began to operate. Don't we want that in the church? Verse 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. What did Nehemiah tell you? For the fear of the Lord because of the reproach of the nations. And here, what happens when the fear of the Lord comes on him? The people held them in high esteem. I want you to think about the Western church right now. Are those outside of the church, do they hold the church in high esteem? Don't you think God wants that influence back into the fabric of society where his bride is leading the way, where he's like, oh, those are my people. They will be my people and I will be their God. Where people know, oh, goodness, God's with them. That's what happens when the fear of the Lord comes upon you. The outside starts looking in and they actually say, maybe we should start listening to these people. Because there's something going on there that we respect. And it's called the fear of the Lord. Verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. We want to see, see this end time harvest that everybody's talking about come to fruition. God, we ask you to pour upon us, to baptize us afresh in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And we will see people added to the church. Not for the sake of numbers. Because they're, the, they're Jesus' inheritance. Verse 15. All of this was happening to such an extent that they were even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them in cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on any of one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits. Listen. And they were all being healed. Jesus walked and delighted in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And because of that, he knew what God was doing. He knew what to do every single day. He knew how to, in every situation, he didn't look at the flesh. 
He didn't look at the outward appearance of man. He looked first at his father's heart because he feared him reverently. He knew him. And then he was able to take what he was doing and translate it in. And because of that, he brought healing in a dimension that was never seen before. And guess what? In our era, in our time, it happened. All were being healed. Why? I would propose to you because the spirit of the spirit of the Lord had come upon them. So what does that mean for you and I? I just think it means that we humble ourselves and we ask God to give us the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And we continue to fix our gaze into heaven. Just like Isaiah, I mentioned it earlier, what happened? God sovereignly opened up the heavens. He saw God. The spirit of the fear of the Lord came upon him. And then God said, who will go for me? I'll go. I think Gary prayed in his prayer. If Jesus said to every one of us, I want you to sell every, I want you to take every single penny out of your bank account. Great example. You know, Jesus actually said that in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. He said that to the rich young ruler. He said, go and sell everything that you've got. But as an example, are we willing? And I would say that if we, if we waver, if I waver when the Lord begins to speak to me, it's because I still haven't stepped fully into the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Because I ultimately don't trust him fully yet. And therefore I'm operating out of the spirit of fear of flesh. And what will happen? And what will become of me? And how will I be provided? Those are all things God said he would take care of. You see, all those fears fly away when we begin to operate in the fear of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but every time I wanna, I'm going to pray for somebody, or every time I preach, or every time I'm at home just sitting with my wife and, and playing with my kids, or, any mo- or at, that I'm at work, or I'm just out and about, I want to be delighting in the fear of the Lord so that every moment of every day, I might honor Jesus by my life reflecting his. And beloved, that's an invitation for us. That's an invitation for us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And, um, and so, like I said, I, I don't know what else to do except for just say, God, we need a baptism of your spirit. A fresh, a fresh infilling of the spirit, specifically in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all of these things. But it's also the thing that very binds, and I believe it's through the fear of the Lord that all of these other things flow as we look at the scripture today. And we'll see reformation. We'll see rebuilding. We will see it. Let's pray. If you want to receive this as an act, just hold your hands out. Father, we're told in your scripture in the Gospel of Luke to ask a good father for the spirit. And that you would give without measure, that you would be so good to give. So right now, God, I ask for the spirit of the fear of the Lord to fill us afresh in your word. God, we sang this morning, make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Do you know what that means? Make me an offering. Like, God, that means I become the sacrifice. That means everything that I have is yours. 
can I walk and it would actually be a pleasure when we are walking in the Spirit and delighting in the Spirit of the fear of the Lord? Make me whatever you want me to be, God, because I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, let this new, new wine of the Spirit of the fear of the Lord flow out of me. So God, I ask for this, that you would give us a fresh glimpse of Jesus. That's our desire. That's what we need. Just like Isaiah got it, just like John got it in Revelation 4 and 5, uh, just like so many other people before us. We've, many of us have already seen a glimpse. But God, we just say, take us deeper, take us higher. We sang that song this morning too. Holy, there is no one like you, none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Just like Jesus did when he delighted in his word. So fill us afresh. Fill us anew. And God, may this be a season that we walk in the fear of the Lord like never before. We don't want to be old. We want to walk in this new wine. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys be blessed. Have a beautiful Sunday. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you and go with you today. God bless.